0: I was asked to speak this morning on um, the subject of transformation, um, which is something that I I speak about in evening school. And it's it's probably one of the two things that's particularly dear to my heart. The other one is intimacy and the father heart of God. But um, I think transformation sort of goes along with that, really. And I guess like many of us here, if you've been a Christian for some years, you can look back and you can just see what God has done in your your life. And I often think, you know, if if it hadn't been for that amazing, transforming grace of God, where would I be today? Um, I know I'm still a work in progress, and um, I only have to ask my husband to find out that's true. (laughs) Um, he might think I should do, go a bit quicker, but uh, but yeah, you know I know there's still a lot that needs to, to change in me. But the amazing thing is that you know God is a transforming God. He is a God of transformation. And the thing about transformation is that it's something that is in our past it's in our present, and it's in our future. It's like a big umbrella that goes right over our Christian lives. And um, you know, don't you, that if you're a Christian here this morning, you have been utterly, completely transformed. And you are being transformed. And you will be transformed. When God invited you into a relationship with him, he invited you in to a relationship that's about change, that's about transformation. It's a process. And yet it's still equally true that I say as a Christian today, you have been utterly, totally and completely transformed. Now, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to be sort of dotting around scriptures a bit this morning um, and you'll just have to trust me that I have actually looked up the context. Otherwise, we'd be here for, you know, three days while we kind of went through long scripture passages. But you can always jot them down and sort of check them out afterwards. Two Corinthians 517 says this. It says, so then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. And I actually like the King James um, version better in this one because it says this. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, that means look, all things are become new. You are a completely new person, completely transformed. The trouble is that we don't always look at things, do we, from heaven's perspective? We look at things from our perspective. And, you know, when I became a Christian, I kind of knew that I didn't quite measure up to somehow what I thought a Christian should be. There were still things in my life that I felt needed changing. But you see, heaven's perspective is that you are completely different. You haven't just changed a bit. You've gone from being dead in your sins to being alive in Christ. And you've gone from being condemned under the law to being justified by faith. Do you know, I'm quite grateful to God. When I first became a Christian, I, I became a Christian in... Um, uh, a, um, a, a free church. And I then went on to a Baptist church. And uh, the kind of downside of that was that they weren't um, they weren't charismatic. They didn't understand that the gifts um, of the Spirit are still for today. And so they didn't talk very much about the Holy Spirit. But what they did do was they kind of really set out um, the doctrine of grace. And so I kind of understood very early on what it meant to be justified by faith. What it means when we're justified by faith is that God sees us as righteous. Now, you only have to look at yourself. I mean, I look at myself and I think, well, I don't always behave in a particularly righteous way. But actually, that is a free gift of God that he gives to us through faith in Jesus Christ. There isn't any other way that we can be justified apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And then it's ours as a free gift that God chooses to see us as justified by faith. And in Ephesians 5, 8, um, Paul says this. He says, for you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So that's the transformation that's gone on. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And you know, don't you, that there's nothing that you can do that will change that. So I can be mad at my husband and be unreasonable and yell at him and tell him he's hopeless. Whatever it is, I don't do that, do I do? Um, And I know that's not the right thing for me to do. Don't misunderstand me. But it doesn't make me darkness. I'm still light because of that transformation that went on. And what the enemy so loves to do is he likes to kind of bring condemnation into our lives. And he says, look what you did. You know, you say you're a Christian, you're supposed to be like Jesus, but look what you did. You're not light, you're darkness. But it's not true. That's a lie. Condemnation from the enemy like that is a lie because that transformation happened when you became a Christian. You were darkness, you are now light. You were an old creation, you are now a new creation. Not only were we totally transformed when we became Christians, but actually our position is also transformed. So before I was a Christian, I was a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. Now I'm a citizen of the kingdom of light. And Paul says more about this in Ephesians 2. He says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So that's the kingdom of darkness. And we know who rules that. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, you, me, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. When you became a Christian, your whole position changed. Now, it's really hard for us to grasp that idea, you know, that we're sort of down here living our lives. But in some way, we are also seated with him in heavenly realms. But from God's perspective, that's easy. You know, heaven's perspective is completely different to our perspective. And often we live from our place here rather than remembering that we're seated with him in heavenly realms and living from that place. And part of the process of transformation that goes on in our lives is about getting us to understand who we are and where we live from. So when anyone becomes a Christian, they're totally transformed. They become a new creation. They become light and they become citizens of the kingdom of light and citizens of heaven seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Now, that blows my mind, I have to say. And if you're a Christian here this morning, that is you. That is who you are. So I guess for most of us here this morning, that's, that's kind of the past transformation. That's what happened when we became Christians. But if you remember, I said that Father God has invited us into a process of transformation. And the word that used to get used when I was in that Baptist church years ago was the word sanctification. And it's the process that we go through in our lives as we become more like him. When I first became a Christian, and if I've shared this story before and you've heard it, I apologize, but it, it makes a point. When I first became a Christian, I, I didn't come from a Christian home, so I didn't really have a grid of what a Christian ought to be like. You know, it was kind of what I was reading and, and what I saw, but I, I didn't really know very much. And so as I was reading the Bible, I came across that passage which talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and you know, the, you know we're meant to be patient, and we're meant to be kind, and we're meant to be self-controlled, all those kind of things. So because I was so hungry for God and I, I, I so wanted to get it right, and uh, was so aware of my own failings, I wrote out a little chart. And I put on it the date. And then I had the list, patience, kindness, self-control, and so on. And, um, and then at the end of the day, I would go through that list and, and I would tick off what I thought I'd done quite well in. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, we he says. Um, the problem was i didn't do very well <laughs> and so at the end of the day you know as soon as you say i'm going to be patient what happens someone comes along don't they and it's like Whoa. <laughs> um and so all that happened was i actually started to feel condemned by my little list because i wasn't doing very well with it i couldn't transform myself why i'd become a christian i'm now a new creation I'm now in the kingdom of light not the kingdom of darkness and I am light not why why, why can't I be patient kind of? and all those things it says in um, in Romans 8:29 it says this for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son see we have the right to become like Christ you know it's our destiny to be fully restored to the image and likeness in which we were made which is him But I've come to understand in my Christian life that although I do have a part to play, because I have to, if you like, cooperate with God in what he's doing, I have to earnestly seek him, I have to desire him, all those things, it's actually primarily a work of God, my ongoing transformation, my sanctification, if you want to use the longer word. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in Philippians 1.6, where Paul says... He is confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will carry on to completion until the day of Christ. See, if it was just up to me, I don't think I would do a very good job. But Father God knows what he is doing. And in the end, the reason that Paul can say he's confident is because he has that inner certainty. It's about faith. It's about something that Father God has put in his heart that says he, Father God, will do what he started. He will finish what he started. He is good. He is faithful. He will keep me safe. He will meet my needs. You know the things that Father God has said about himself. And so that confidence, that faith within, says he will finish what he started. Do you know that Paul was in prison when he wrote that to the Philippians? He was literally in chains. And if you read the rest of that chapter, you see that Paul didn't know at that point whether he was going to live or die. He had no idea. And yet he had that certainty of faith that allowed him to say it doesn't matter whether I live or whether I, whether I die, it's okay. Because his trust and his confidence in Father God was such that it didn't matter to him whether he stayed on the earth or whether he went to be with Father God. Father God can be trusted. And it was a degree of transformation that Paul had come to in his own life, that even though he went through imprisonment and beatings and shipwrecks, all those things, he was still able to say. And we know that all in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8:28. OK, so if I can't make tick lists, um, how do I allow Father God to bring a greater degree of transformation into my life so that I am and I become more like Jesus? 2 Corinthians 3 and verses 16 to 18 says this but whenever any one turns to the Lord the veil is taken away now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit If you look at the the context of this passage, Paul is actually contrasting Christians with Moses and the Israelites. When Moses went up to meet with God, you know, he used to go and meet with God. One of those times he got given the Ten Commandments. But when he was meeting with God, the glory of the Lord was so strong upon him that when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining. And his face was shining so much that he had to put a veil over his face because the Israelites couldn't actually look at it. We know, don't we, that Jesus has taken away the veil. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two. There is no longer any need for any veil. We are able to come into the Holy of Holies. We are able to come into the presence of Father God. And so in those um, few verses, in verse 17, where it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is the freedom it's talking about. There is no longer any need for a veil. We have the freedom to have complete access um, into the Father's presence. And we have that because Jesus died on the cross and because the Holy Spirit now resides within us. And it's in him we are able to come into the presence of the Father and experience that closeness with him. The more that we focus on him and his glory, the more like him we become And the more glorious we become. When it talks about contemplating the Lord's glory, what that actually means, the kind of word that 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 implies, it's like we're looking in a mirror. Well, I sort of stopped and I was thinking about that. I was thinking, well, hang on. We're standing and it's like we're looking in a mirror contemplating the Lord's glory. Well, what do you see when you look in a mirror? You see yourself. Now, please don't misunderstanding me. I'm not saying I am the Lord in glory or anything like that. But it's like as we contemplate his glory and it's reflected back at us, we become more glorious. Um, the only way I could, I think one of the ways I kind of thought about it was like, I don't know if any of you have you've seen the Harry Potter films, but there's one where he, he sort of stares into this mirror and you, he sees the kind of greatest desire of his heart, and so he sees his dead parents standing behind him with himself in the mirror. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, as I'm contemplating Father God in that place of intimacy, what is the desire of my heart? Is the desire of my heart to be more like him? Because as, as it is, and I'm kind of partnering with that, and I'm, I'm re- looking at his glory and looking at him and who he is, it's kind of it gets reflected back on me and I start to become more like what I'm looking at. Does that make sense to you? Do you see what I'm saying with that? So as we focus um, ourselves on him and his glory, then we become more like him and we go from glory to glory. We are transformed. Do you know that you're glorious? Good, Martin. Thank you for that. So before you became a Christian, what were you? Well, you were the walking dead in your sins, decaying. So in my mind, I always go to pictures. So I have this kind of picture of these zombies, you know, the kind of films with the kind of bandages hanging off them and, you know, the walking dead. But actually, that sounds a horrible thing to say. But, you know, when we're dead in our sins, that's what we are. Before we become Christians, that's exactly um, who we are. But now... You are the glorious new creation of the father, continually transformed from glory to glory. And I can see beauty in the beast, you know, when the prince is transformed and he sort of goes up. So if you haven't seen that, don't worry. But he was the beast and he turns into, into the prince. At the end, our bodies will be glorified as we're freed from sickness and death. So even our bodies will become, the word says, like his glorious body. So our bodies will be glorified as well. But it's so easy, isn't it, just to think of that as something that happens at the end. So, you know, we're all right with justification. Jesus did it all on the cross. We became Christians, yay. Sanctification bit, that's a hard bit, isn't it? Transforming, becoming more like Christ. Glorification, oh yeah, well that's when I get to heaven. No, it's not. Because you can't separate sanctification and glorification. You can't separate that. It's all about transformation. And we are transformed through our lives from glory, to glory. So what is the point of all this? A little bit of theology there. Well, firstly, just as God's nature is revealed in what he does, the evidence that we are being transformed into his likeness is that we reveal his nature in what we do. So I'll say that again. Just as God's nature is revealed in what he does, the evidence that we are being transformed into his likeness is that we reveal his nature In what we do. So what we do comes out of who we are, or actually probably for most of us, what we do comes out of who we think we are. Because the problem is we don't always see ourselves as Father God sees us. So you know, I was talking about where do we live from? Do we live from here or do we live from our position with Him, um, seated with Christ in the heavenlies? If we live from that place, and and we believe that, then we start to act like it. We start to reveal his nature in the things that we do. But if I believe, well, I'm just down here and I'm really quite hopeless and useless and I've got all this kind of stuff piled on me, I'm going to live from that place, aren't I? I'm not going to reveal his nature in what I do. So we need a transformation in our thinking as well. Romans 12 tells us not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And you know, don't you, that's not a one-time event. That's not just, oh, I became a Christian and my mind got renewed. We have to continually be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We continually have to choose that over conforming to the world. And as we allow him to transform us and to change our attitudes and to increase our faith... Then we step out and we take risks for the kingdom because we trust him for our provision, don't we? We trust him to keep us safe. We trust him that we will do the things that Jesus did and even greater things, which is what the Bible says we will do. We're we're living in a time when Father God is restoring a kingdom culture in his church and he's breaking down denominational and cultural divides in this nation. I've had the privilege of traveling around the country quite a lot in the last um, few months uh, in my role as SOZO director. And we meet people, church leaders, um, just ordinary guys from the church, SOZO team leaders from every denomination. I've been to Anglican churches and Baptist churches, and churches, I'm not quite sure what they are, but that's okay. Um, and, but you know, there is, there is a hunger in people at the moment that... There's almost, if I put it, there's a passion, really, to see kingdom out there, to see people going out and taking things out with them. And we just hear the most amazing testimonies of people who are willing to take risks for the kingdom, who trust God enough that actually they'll step out and they'll just go for it, you know. Um, One story, um, it's a, a church leader from an Anglican church, and uh, he had been training, and he'd come to the end of his um, curacy, or whatever it is they do. I'm afraid I'm not very up on what happens in the CV e church. You might know better than me. But what happens is they they kind of have to apply for a, a vicarship, if that's a word, and um, and they kind of apply for, to churches where there is a position, and then whoever it is, you know, the PCC or whoever interview them uh, and decide who they're going to call for interview, and then they interview them, and then they decide if you know they want one of them to be their vicar. Well, he had got towards the end of the curacy, and um, they started to look for jobs. And there was one particular job that came up, and he felt, and his wife as well felt, "Yeah, that's it. That is the one that God wants us to go for." Now, he is a spirit-filled, great guy. I met him out um, in, in Bethel actually at, at Leaders Advance this, last year, and, um, and they were so sure that Father God wanted them to have. That you know to, to go and work with that church for him to be the vicar of that church, that they didn't apply for anything else. They just applied for that one, and so they the went off. And um, he didn't get called for interview. So kind of that was that was a bit of a shock because it's like no, I know I know that this is right. You know what what do we do? So he rang them up and he said, "You haven't called me for interv- interview, but I think you're meant to." <laughs> See, we might call that arrogance, might me, but actually it's not. It was just absolute certainty that that was where he was meant to be. So they were a little bit nonplussed by this, as you can imagine. And they said, well, we're going to interview our other candidates. If we, Well, actually, in effect, if we don't like any of them, we'll come back to you. So um, the interviews went on. And it's getting closer and closer to the deadline, by which time he has to have something sorted. And uh, they interview the other candidates. And surprise, surprise, they don't like any of them. <laughs> um, so they come back to him and they say, well, we will interview you, but we're interviewing someone else as well. So uh, this particular chap and his wife, they're not worried because they know that's where God's got them going. So they go for the interview. So he has the interview. And then he hears a bit later, you haven't got it. So they look at each other and they say, well, what do we do? Did we hear God wrong? Um, and no, we don't think we did hear God wrong. Well, we've got to find something. But we're going to have that job. But we're going to have to find something else to do now. So what should we do? We've got, you know, we can do anything. So they decided they would go to Bethel for a year. And they would go to the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And they've got young children as well. So they they kind of apply, thinking, well, it's a bit late. I don't think anything happened. And they get accepted. So they're off to Bethel. Just before they're due to go, they get a call from that church, the original church they wanted to go to. Father God has woken up two different members um, of wh- whoever the deciding people are in the middle of the night and said, you are meant to give this job to this particular guy. <laughs> so they say, well, so he says, well, we've arranged to go to Bethel. They say, go to Bethel, have a year in Bethel. It'll be great. And then bring it back. Come and join us. And that's where they are today. they took a risk. They've got young children. They had nowhere to go. And, you know, it's not just about being a vicar. I mean, it pays for, your, you know, the food on the table. But they were so sure of God in their lives. They had come to that point of such trust in him that they were able to do that and to see the breakthrough. I don't want you to think that I'm suggesting that all we need to do is spend hours soaking in his presence, okay, and we'll be transformed. That is not what I'm saying here this morning, not at all. I do think that soaking is very valuable before any of the Encounter team hit me. Um, I think it's wonderful, and I do it myself, and it is a way of coming into a place of intimacy with Father God. I've discovered you can soak when you're doing housework. It's great. The only trouble is sometimes I miss bits, but it's... Um, You know, soaking is a very good thing. Coming in, taking that time to come into his presence, spend time contemplating his glory is wonderful. But I think for most of us, and I include myself very much here, we need to learn how to be aware of his presence, to live. um, I think Bill Johnson says to live aware of his presence in everything that we do. So that as we go about our ordinary everyday lives, we are aware of his presence with us and we acknowledge him, the Bible says, in all our ways. So that he becomes our focus rather than whatever difficult relationship, whatever stressful situation, whatever fear, whatever need we find ourselves dealing with. You know, when the going gets really tough, it's easy to feel like God doesn't care or he's not there. And when when you're in a church like this, it's wonderful, isn't it, when you hear all the testimonies. But I'll be honest with you, if you're not in a particularly wonderful place at the moment, if life is, is really difficult... And, you know, you, you don't feel like you've got enough provision or whatever it is, or you are having difficulty in your relationships. When you kind of hear those testimonies of what God's doing, sometimes you can feel left out. Or sometimes you can think, well, what's wrong with me? Life just doesn't seem to be going that way. You know, or I'm just having to deal with all this stuff, for a polite word, that is just kind of piling up. And actually, I'm finding that really difficult. But it's in those times, you know, that often we are transformed the most. And when I look back on my kind of Christian life of sort of 38 years, now I would say that the most difficult things I went through are the things that have most built character in me, that have actually given me most trust and faith in Father God. And sometimes I've come through clinging on by my fingertips because there's really nowhere else to go, and that's what it's felt like. But I can look back and say, yeah, but that's when the rubber really hit the road. That's when I really learned, even though it didn't feel easy at the time, how to trust Father God. It it, it strengthened me. It strengthened my trust and my faith in him. Bill Johnson says in his book, Face to Face with God, Joseph's darkest hour revealed the extraordinary measure of God's favor on his life. Some would say that ending up in prison proved that he had little favor, but that was not so. The reality was that the favor upon his life was the thing that enabled him to turn his adverse circumstances into the very training process he needed to fulfill the assignment for which that favor had been given him. Do you know, you can read the story of Joseph and you can airbrush out the bad bits. But if you do, you miss the point. So look at it this way. Joseph comes from a good family, father loves him best of all his brothers, gives him this lovely coat, you know, God gives him dreams, what happens? He completely hacks his brothers off, so they chuck him in a, a pit. Well, yeah, okay, but that's all right, because God sends along the Ishmaelites Oh, but then he gets sold as a slave. Okay, I know, but he's out of the pit now. So he's sold as a slave and off they go to Egypt. But it's okay because he's bought by Potiphar and Potiphar thinks he's great and God gives him favor so he rules over Potiphar's household and makes everything work for Potiphar. But then Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to rape her. And oh dear, Potiphar believes it. So he's thrown in prison. But don't worry because God's got a plan. You see what happens is along comes a baker and a cupbearer and Joseph interprets his dreams. And so now, you know, Pharaoh will get to hear of it and he'll be let out of prison. Ah, But that doesn't happen because the cupbearer forgets to tell Pharaoh. But no, not to worry because God's still on the case. And then Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph gets out of prison. Joseph um, interprets Pharaoh's dream and now there he is ruling over Egypt. Great. But you see, Joseph still had to live through the circumstances that he found himself in. So how did Joseph feel when he was rejected by most of his family? How did he feel when he lost control over his life? How did he feel when he was accused of a crime he didn't commit and ended up in prison because of it? And how did he feel when he saw the opportunity to get out of prison, only to have his hopes dashed and stay in prison for another two years? See, we kind of skip over that, don't we? And, and it, in a way, you know, it's right that we do, because we see the ultimate plan of God on his life. But actually, Joseph, as a human being, had to live through all those circumstances in order, in the end, to get to that place where Father God wanted him to be. And I'm sure when Joseph looked back, in fact, we know when Joseph looked back, he understood that because he said, you know, that God meant, you know, that famous um, verse that um, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So he could then look back at all the circumstances of his life and see how it came together. I don't think he felt like that at the time. He was a human being and he must have struggled. We live in an age where people want quick fixes, don't we? And instant rewards for little effort. But the truth is that quick fixes often turn out to be houses of sand and instant rewards don't have an awful lot of value. Father God knows how to build and he knows how to build in us that which lasts and which is needed for us to walk in the destiny and to achieve what he has for us to achieve. Paul says in Romans 8, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So, you know, why can we be confident of this? Well, the answer is in the next verse, in verse 29. For, because, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined he also called, and those he called he also justified, and whom he justified he also glorified. in other words, Paul writes verse twenty nine so that you can be confident in the, pres- in the promise of verse twenty eight I promise you, says God says, that all the hard things in your life will work together for your good. Because I foreknew you, and I predestined you, and I called you, and I uh, I justified you, and I glorified you. In that sense, Father God's hand is on my life and is on your life right the way through. And it means that it's okay for me to take risks. And it's okay for me to go to hard places of need. And it's okay for me to believe for healing and for provision. And it's what enables me to get it wrong sometimes and still have the confidence to try again. And finally, part of the transformation process is about pressing on, keeping going, not giving up, not settling for where I am now. You see, Paul knew that there was still more to be had there was greater transformation to know. And in Philippians Philippians 3, 10 to 14, he says this, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, I think he did pretty well, but yeah. But I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you a question. What is it that you need to leave behind this morning? And what promises of God on your, in your life do you need to revisit? I, what I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, is close your eyes for a moment. And um, I felt God talked to me, particularly about some of those things that, you know, I, I spoke of um, Joseph um, experiencing. And I think for some people here, there are some of these issues that need to be left behind, So if you just close your eyes and just think about if any of these kind of you know touch you or or relate to you relate to this morning. Joseph was rejected by most of his family, and some of you there will have been rejection in your life that you need to leave behind today. So if that's true of you, just in your head, just quietly, I just want you to ask Jesus, who do I need to forgive? And as you get an answer, just start to release forgiveness over them for that rejection. And then just ask Father God what he has in exchange for you. As you leave that rejection behind. And as you go forward, as you press on with him. Some of you will feel that you've lost control. That things in your life are out of control at the moment. So again, if that's you, just ask Father God, who do I need to forgive, Father? And just start to release forgiveness. Might be a boss at work, might be anyone. And as you do that, just ask him, as you leave that sense of fear and lack of control behind, what will he give you in exchange? Some of you may feel that you've been very unjustly treated, perhaps not accused of a crime, but actually you've been very unjustly treated and that maybe even in some sense punished for it. And if that's true of you, then again, just ask him who you need to forgive. Just start to release forgiveness. Ask him to help you to leave that one behind. Ask him what he has for you in exchange. And some of you will have had dreams and hopes dashed. Maybe you thought there was a word of God on your life and the things that have happened recently have just kind of gone right over the top of that. And you just can't see how you're going to get to that place. And if that's true of you, then ask him to speak to you again. If there's anyone that you need to forgive, but just to speak to you about those hopes and dreams, what he has for you. And then the final thing that I just feel he wanted to say is that some of you will just feel that actually the stuff of life has just come in on top of you and you're finding it hard to find him in all of that. And if that's you, all the kind of burdens and pressures of life have come in on top of you, then just ask him now to start to lift those off you, just to enable you to see clearly, give you a sense... Of his presence with you. Yeah. So, Father God, we just want to thank you today that you are a God of transformation. That you are a God who holds us in the palm of his hand, that you predestined us, that you knew us before the foundation of the world, that you have a plan and a purpose and a destiny. That it is our destiny to be conformed to the image of your Son. Father, I just want to pray for anyone here this morning that has really struggled with that in recent days. And I just want to ask that you would come and that you would show them your glory. Father, that as we focus on you, as we look to you, we are transformed. We do become more like Christ so that we can take what you've given us out into the world, that we can see transformation happening, not just in our own lives, but in our churches, in our businesses, in the school playground, wherever we are, that your amazing work of grace will go out with us, Father God. Yeah. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross so that I could be justified, so that I could be saved, so that I could know you. Yeah. And thank you that that work of knowing you and becoming like you isn't going to finish until I'm with you in heaven. Yeah. Amen.